fasten your seat belts. I'm taking you for the ride of your life. I'm going to show you what this car can really do. Are you ready? I am ready. Hang on. Okay. Here we go. Hold on to your butts. Go get him, kid. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor at all. As if. You're going to ask me. So you can go ahead and ask me what you're going to ask me. And my natural response could be to get offended. Hey, want to hear the most annoying sound in the world? Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. All right, all right, all right. You're listening to the 30-something movie podcast. One movie each week, 30 years in the making. You are listening to the 30-something movie podcast. It's John, it's Pat, it's Dennis. Guys, how's it going? Hi, everybody. It's, there he is. Yep. It's it's great to be back. It's been, a, it's been a few weeks since I've been able to cast pod with you guys. It's good to have and, you back. Uh, we missed you for the 400th. Yeah, I know it was it was one of those one of those things, and I I mean I I don't like it when it all comes down on the same night. But Dominic had a band concert, and yeah. I had to you know I well I say I had to go be dad, but I mean it that makes it sound a little bit not the way I wanted it to. But unfortunately, that was the night of the four hundredth. But I really enjoyed listening to you guys and uh, just the whole thing. It's just it's just been a pretty cool a uh, pretty cool run. So. Anyways, sure, spirit, and you were also there in many of the uh, favorite memories. So that's true. <laughs> yeah, that's right, man. I thought the gremlins too. You know, like the, <laughs> when I slept, talked my way through the. Or you fell asleep. Fell asleep. My sleep. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Oh man. And I just I want to go back to something you said a second ago. So when Dominic is playing this in therapy, like twenty years from now, your dad really <laughs> yeah. does love you. He really does love you. So just so you know, he he's not really like the whole I had to be dad. You know, it's it's okay, Dominic. It's everything's gonna be all right. Well, as I was searching for the answer to one of the three questions from next week's episode, you know, it was, you know, I I looked over at him and I did drop the reference. I'm like, you know, if I need to afford this car, I could probably just sell one of you. And then, you know, I, I could mm-hmm. I could afford, you know. Yeah. And I think he actually looked and says, how much can we get for Daniela? You know, like he was, he was, he was all in. He knows he gets a license in a couple of years. Yeah. So yeah. boy, that's dad's best chance to buy a car that he won't ever get to have, but maybe he can get for his kids. Is that what you're saying? That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It's not for me. It's for Dominic. I really want that car, but I had to be a dad. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, man. That's right. It's because of these kids. And I would have succeeded too, if it wasn't for you meddling kids. <laughs> there you go. It's a Scooby-Doo defense. There it is. Well, in all honesty, though, guys, I mean, it's just it's just been great. And we got some more movie, more movie to talk. More movies. So we are marching ahead to our 500th episode now. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm not going to start that now. That's going to be however, what is that? <sighs> It'll be like two more years. Two more years-ish until 500. Two, yeah, two in a little bit. I'm not going to start two that. Two in now. a little bit. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm excited for Matrix. <laughs> yeah, that's seven years it's like from seven now. Years, so, I mean... so that's if if nothing else, we're building in. Well, it's not really a job, but we're building in like unpaid job security for ourselves. Yep. Every time you look forward to a movie that's a decade away, 
I know we're going to keep doing mm -hmm. this for a while. <laughs> it's so. bright. And we got to get to the Matrix. Yeah. We got to get to the Crow, too. There you go. Oh, yeah. 94, isn't it? I think it's 94. Yeah. Cool. We we got to get to Heat. Yeah. 95, I think, was Heat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, we got plenty to choose from. That's And that begins that begins the whole Pixar run with yeah. uh, Toy Story. Yeah. So I I caused. Well, let's do. We've we've got some news here, so let me let me kind of jump into some of our stuff, and then I'll tell you I, I caused a, a little bit of an issue maybe on Twitter. Uh -oh. Very very quickly, we spoil freely around here, so just be warned. We talk, we spoil. There you go. Visit our website thirty podcastcom You can rate, leave a voicemail, become a co executive producer via Patreon, where there's all kinds of bonus episodes there, all kinds of good stuff. There are at least, I think at this point, there's at least 18 or 19 episodes that are up there as well. Actually, a little bit more than that. We've got over 20 episodes bonus on there. So if you want some bonus content, head over there. There's also ways that if you join us at some of the different tiers, we get you on this show and you get to pick a movie for us or you get to be on a, an episode with us. And we've had a lot of fun having people come on episodes with us in the past for some of our horror month stuff and just other great movies that we've been able to cover because of people suggesting them to us. So... Join us over there if you want to, 30podcast.com. You can find all of our old episodes. What's a little bit funny about that is some people reached out to me and they were like, hey, I heard you, like, you made reference to this episode. You know, I, where do I find that one? And I was like, well, go to our website. Every single one of our old episodes you can find by searching on there. Jason from the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast, he was like, I've listened to all of your episodes. Like, I, I've even gone back and I thought I listened to every single one of them. I don't know that I ever listened to the Howard the Duck episode. <laughs> oh, so after he heard us make <laughs> after he heard us make the comment on the 400th about Dennis leaving the podcast during the four, <laughs> he got during, mad he walked out of the room bubble right now my internet's going out I can't hear you guys is it is that it's fading okay. in and out it, it, something about uh, Howard's maybe uh, Howard's yeah it could could be could be I don't know you feeling a little sick to your stomach if anybody else is curious, you can go over to 30podcast.com and search up episode number 73, Vomit Breath, is the name of that episode, because that's how Dennis felt as we were talking about Howard the Duck. Oh, man. So. Guys, guys, he's leaving. Oh, my God. Dennis is leaving the podcast. Is that, do you think Dennis will come back? I don't know if he's going to come back. I think canceled. Yeah. I think it's modulated standards or something. I, we have no standards. <laughs> Why don't you why don't you call me sometime when you have no class? All right. Well, since we're talking about Jason Colvin, before we get into our news, he actually okay. called in and left us a voicemail. So let me let me pull up uh. his voicemail here and we'll see what Jason's got to say. I just called to say I love you. Ed Rooney's office. Paris Bueller's online too. Hey guys, this is 30-something movie podcast superfan Jason Colvin calling in to congratulate you guys on your 400th podcast. That is fantastic. I've been listening to you guys since 2018 when I just happened to stumble upon your your podcast and have been with you ever since. I just wanted to call and say appreciate you guys. I enjoy listening to you. And in honor of your 400th episode, I did go back and listen to the Howard the Duck podcast from 1986 i guess it was 2016 for you guys and cracked up as dennis walked off and punched the wall and all that good stuff so anyway appreciate you guys keep up the good work and here's to the next 400 oh thanks jason you didn't see it but dennis had some hand motions he was making 
as as you mentioned, Howard the Duck. So it's a good thing we're an audio podcast, I guess. It was four hundred and one episode. Yeah, four hundred and one. Four hundred and one. Is that the number you were giving us there? Yeah, one. Okay. One. Yeah. That's that's what I thought I saw. Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh man. What well, fun stuff? The room. You what? What episode was the room? I, did we do an episode on the room? Yeah, I don't know because we talked about it at some point. I'm sure. I, well, we talked about it a lot. I don't know that we ever gave an episode to it. Well, no, we. Must- John, John, you yeah. got borderline. You got borderline pretty angry with that movie when you had to watch it. Like, is all of us came back and like, this is fun. John, if I recall right, you were like, you were just angry. I can't believe I had to watch this tune. And it's kind of like, well, isn't that the point? I don't care. I had to take it out. That was just, I thought I was you got. Mostly against the Is Howard Duck, I think. You know, yeah. it's that and, and a little too much Bobcat Goldthwait will get me in that mood too. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. That was good. But thanks for the shout out from Jason yeah. and, and Mike. Yeah, man. And him and Deeds with the Shirley podcast. Fantastic show. Love listening to that. You know, have you guys listened to, so we'll give them a quick plug as well. Have you guys listened to their Godfather episodes? I, when did those go up? Cause I'm, I'm a bit, I just, I'm a little bit late. I just finished up the Batman ones. They've got at least, I think they're on their, at least their second Godfather episode at the time okay. of our recording. Okay. Um, they okay. are excellent. In fact, <laughs> in fact, one of our Patreon episodes coming up in like in a couple of months or so was going to be like a 50th anniversary Godfather episode. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, why are we recording one now? Like they've basically covered everything that you ever ever want to cover and everything you'd ever want to talk about with the Godfather. Theirs though is they are comparing Godfather, Godfather Two, and Goodfellas. Oh, see that that'll be an interesting. And so they're, that would be interesting. Their their task they've set for themselves is to vote which one of those is the best movie out of the three. Mm. Best best movie. So, yeah. It's and I believe dad. I believe their second episode is I don't I think they were only doing a two episode one for that one so. Okay. I, I believe they already made their decision on what their favorites were, but I won't, okay. I won't tell you since you haven't listened to it yet. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to be checking that out soon. I, I always find like listening to their podcast, if it's about something that like we're going to do, I just learned so much. So I kind of go to their podcast, learn a whole bunch of stuff and added bonus added bonuses. I feel like I'm hanging out with them. You know, it's kind of that cliche of just hanging out with some friends, learn a bunch, and then, you know, reuse their information. I, I was basically going to send them a note and say, thank you guys for doing all the research for our show like three months yeah. from now. Yeah. So. Then you find a movie people like, Pat, right? Then you just don't like it, right? Uh, yeah, well, th- that's how we get Patreon. If it's Patreon, yeah. right? Pat, yeah. No, when Pat hates a movie, we get more support. It's kind of like the reverse. It's... It's like the reverse. It's a wonderful life. Every time Pat hates a movie, we get more support. <laughs> That's the worst piece of garbage I've ever. Bing, bing, bing. Hey, think you guys have a great show. Can you just tell Pat to calm down? That movie's not so bad. I got this next Christmas time. I'm going to make a little video where I'm like holding Nora and Sharon is standing next to me. And all of a sudden, I'm going to like play a little quote of Pat being like, oh, I got home alone. I just blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, a boy, Pat. Good job. Yeah, that's right. That's <laughs> the richest right, man. man in town. <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I, I was just angry with the parents at Home Alone. I think that's what it boiled down to. So maybe deep down, I liked the movie because it did the trick. Like, I didn't like the parents. If the parents were shirtless ducks in a bathtub, how would you feel about them? Probably like Dennis did. See, there okay. you go. Uh, it, it all comes full circle. That's just shirtless. Speaking of full circles, okay. Generic shirtless, like, you know. 
<laughs> I I was like I'm 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 sitting here. You know, the costume costume person went a little nuts. Uh huh. Well, I'm just watching well. Dennis's jawline <laughs> tighten. Like his jaw, as he's talking about it, his jaw just gets tight. Like he's just ready to like start throwing punches. You know, I mean, he's I just can like, see, you know how sometimes in those RPG video games, you can see like somebody's energy meter above their head. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. like that, but it's Dennis's blood pressure. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just, it's yeah. starting to rise. Nope. Well, let's change the subject then since we don't want Dennis to I, die. Well. So I do have, I have a little bit of news for us. We haven't done news in a while. So let's, let's talk about some news. All right. Well, I don't know if you gentlemen, I, th- I think I mentioned it to you the other day, or I might have even sent a link to some news stories. Did you catch that Amazon, which now owns, other than the house of the mouse, Amazon owns just about everything. And mm-hmm. they went and bought MGM Studios. I did hear that. Or what I is did it? not. Yeah. So they bought MGM Studios for $8.5 billion. Mm-hmm. So now how do you think Steven Spielberg feels about Amazon and Netflix movies showing up for Oscars? Because they're basically going to own everything anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Remember he, I, uh... remember he was complaining a few years ago? He's like, I don't think Amazon movies or Netflix movies should be up for Oscars. They're not. You know, they didn't run in theaters. I don't think they should be up for awards. He had that whole thing a few years ago where he was kind of complaining about it. Yeah. I'm like, I, at this point, the, the streaming people are going to own everything anyway, so it's not going to make too much of a difference. Yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. How, how do you guys feel about that? Like, the fact that somebody like Amazon has purchased a major movie studio you know that basically that gives Amazon the rights to everything James Bond. So I'm just kind of be selfish. I'm like, oh man, all the Bond flicks will be well, on Amazon Prime. <laughs> and yeah. So I mean, that was my that was my gut reaction was you know mm. that this is their what other news story did I see? This is their second largest acquisition back. The biggest thing they've ever paid for it was when they bought Whole Foods grocery stores in 2017 for 13.7 billion. Yep. Otherwise, mm-hmm. otherwise, MGM at eight point actually it's eight point four five billion. I'm sorry, there was point oh five billion that I was off by. Yeah, that's okay. You know, exaggeration that happens. I don't know. I mean, it's my understanding there would be no math. So yeah, you know, a movie is a movie, and whether it's released on something, I think if it's a good movie, like are we going back to the Oscar comment, or are we talking about just no, nah, just in in general? How do you feel about it? I mean, it's just the way it's just the way things are going. I don't think you can fight that back. And I think if it's a way to get your movie out to an audience, that's ultimately every hopefully filmmaker's goal is to find mm-hmm. it. So going to increase your chances of people who might never, in any other way, go back and watch a movie that you made that isn't at the theaters anymore is only sitting in a. I mean, it's it's going to be where people access it. I think you have a better chance of people seeing it. So, from a filmmaking standpoint, I think it's I, I'm I'm okay with it. Yeah, and some of those studios, I mean, there's been some pretty creative stuff that's come out with Amazon and Netflix and all that kind of stuff. And, and yeah, it's just, I, I guess, like I said, I mean, the thing I reacted to was, yeah, the Bond films will all be on, you know, Amazon Prime. But then beyond that, I'm like, I don't know how much that'll change. You know what I'm saying? How much that'll change my day to day. I think we'll be still be having the same discussions, right? It's like, you know. Oh man, the, since whatever took over this movie franchise has been really going downhill. 
ho-hum or wow, there's been some pretty incredible stuff that's come out. You know what I'm saying? So I think it just all, I think it just all kind of uh, depends on what content comes out. And yeah, that's, that's kind of my thing, but I don't know enough of the ins and outs of like the business of what the possible, you know, negative impact could be influence new movies in a different way are they going to influence or censor influence or push in a certain direction i don't know but mgm could have done the same thing mm -hmm. the studio is going to do that can do the same sort of thing so whoever's in charge i would think ultimately you know hopefully they're just looking for good stuff they're not gonna try to shut mm -hmm. down certain things and influence other things but and if not somebody gets another platform i don't know there's enough options out there but well, and my understanding is, is that some of the, like some of the background information on this whole thing is that Amazon probably could really even care less about the movies themselves. It's more of a, you know, cause they, when you get Amazon prime, it's bundled together with the Amazon prime for shipping, like free shipping and that mm -hmm. kind of stuff. So it's like, it came free. All this video stuff came free with that. And one article that I read said, really, Amazon probably could care less about the movie side of things. They just figure if they have a big enough catalog to, you know, have you watch some free movies and they've got an awesome collection of movies, you'll buy Prime and you'll buy more socks from them and you'll buy more dishes from them and, you know, whatever yeah, else you're going to buy from Amazon, you'll buy more. That might be the only issue, like I said, like, you know, you would hope that a studio or a studio executive is somebody who loved the movies and didn't just see it from a business angle and therefore, you know, hopefully encourage good work and, you know, not just what sells all the time, but yeah. Ultimately, mm -hmm. the bottom line, but like, you know, the spirit of somebody who loves film, maybe starts a studio, the, you know, now you've got somebody who necessarily does, doesn't necessarily love film, but it's a business thing. So in the end, will it change the result? I, like I said, I don't know, I guess that's to be, to be seen, but yeah, hopefully not. Yeah. And, and we'll be there. We'll be there. Our podcast will be there in the front lines. No, but we'll, you know, we'll all be there and it'll be like, man, this stuff, it's okay. Yeah. You know, then it just does what it does. Or it's going to be like, wow, that's some, that's some pretty great stuff. You know, need some more money. So that's right. Eventually the A and AMC will just stand for Amazon. Mm -hmm. yeah. it. Amazon movie company. Everything will be the Amazon. Mm-hmm. I really wish, like back in college, I really wish I had enough money to be like, oh, there's this place that sells books online. <laughs> That's crazy. I'll buy a couple of stocks. I should have done that. Yeah. Like I even had yeah. that thought back in college. I'm like, huh, wonder if this will catch on. Man, if I just had a few dollars, I should throw it, like should buy some stock in Amazon just to, I don't know, just for fun. Yeah. You know, that would be one of those, that would be my Gray's Sports Almanac moment would be to go back in time and, you know, put some money on the Cubbies. Apple too, man. Anything. You know? mm -hmm. All right. Well, if anybody finds a time machine, let us know. Yep. All right. Are we ready to talk about the last of the Mohicans? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. All right. Our movie this time around is The Last of the Mohicans. Came out on the 25th of September, 1992. Rated R with a runtime of one hour, 52 minutes. Directed by Michael Mann, who also directed Heat and Collateral. Writers for this one, bunch of different writers listed here. Some is for the original novel, like James Fenimore Cooper, and then some from the other movie adaptations they did of this over the years. So uh, James Fenimore Cooper wrote the novel. He died in 1851. 
John L. Balderston did one of the adaptations. He died in 1954. I think that was the 1936 adaptation, maybe. Paul Perez worked on one of the adaptations. He died in 1984. Daniel Moore worked on one of the adaptations. Philip Dunn worked on the 1936 screenplay, and he died in 1992. And then director Michael Mann worked on this screenplay, and Christopher Crowe worked on this screenplay. So James Fenimore Cooper also wrote novels or stories that got adapted into The Deerslayer and The Pathfinder. Balderston also wrote Frankenstein and Gaslight. Perez also wrote The Isle of Lost Ships and Paradise Express. Moore also wrote Flight at Midnight and The Storm. Dunn wrote How Green Was My Valley and David and Bathsheba. Mann also wrote Ali, Enzo Ferrari. Crow also wrote Fear and The Untouchables TV series that came out in the 90s. Producers for this one were Hunt, Lowry, and Michael Mann. Lowry also produced Donnie Darko and First Night. Actually, I'm going to look forward to doing that one. When we get to Donnie Darko, I remember really liking that movie when I saw that back in college. Yeah, there you go. I, I sometimes, oh, our earlier, our earlier conversation about commitment to sports. You need to pull the line from that movie. Sometimes I question your commitment to sparkle motion. Pull that quote. There. Use that. Make a t-shirt of it. Sometimes I, and she starts crying while she's saying it. Sometimes I question your commitment to sparkle motion. Michael Mann also produced The Aviator and Collateral. Music was mm. done by Randy Edelman and Trevor Jones. Edelman did My Cousin Vinny and Gettysburg. Jones did Dark City. Looking forward to that one too. And Cliffhanger. Cinematography was done by Dante Spinati, who did Heat and LA Confidential. Editor was Dov Honig, who did Dark City and The Fugitive. And Arthur Schmidt, who did Back to the Future and Forrest Gump. Budget for this one was $40 million. Box office was $143 million, so it did pretty, pretty well. Made its, made its money back and then some. Flick Metrics, which combines Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb, and Letterboxd, gives it a 76%, and Cinema Score gives it an A-. This one is starring Daniel Day-Lewis as Hawkeye, uh, or Nathaniel Poe. He was in There Will Be Blood and Gangs of New York. Madeline Stowe played Cora Monroe. She was in 12 Monkeys and The General's Daughter. Russell Means, who died in 2012, play, played Chingachuk. He was in Natural Born Killers and Pocahontas. Eric Schweig played Uncas. He was the, in The Missing and Tom and Huck. Jody May played Alice Monroe. She was in A World Apart and Sister, My Sister. Stephen Waddington played Major Duncan Hayward. He was in the TV series The Tudors and Sleepy Hollow. Pete Postlethwaite, who died in 2011, played Captain Beams. He was in The Usual Suspects and Inception. Cole Meany played Major Ambrose. He was in Star Trek Deep Space Nine and Con Air. Maurice Reeves, or Revs, I said that wrong, died in 2020, played Colonel Edmund Monroe. He was in The Eagle Has Landed and Judge Dredd. And Wes Studi played Magua. He was in Avatar and Dances with Wolves. The last members of a dying Native American tribe, the Mohicans, Uncas, his father Chingachuk, and his adopted half-white brother Hawkeye live in peace alongside British colonists. But when the daughters of a British colonel are kidnapped by a traitorous scout, Hawkeye and Uncas must rescue them in the crossfire of a gruesome military conflict of which they want no part of, the French and Indian War. It's not as I imagined it would be, thinking of it in Boston. Frontier is the only land available to people. Out here, they're beholden to none. As a new land was being carved out of an untamed frontier. Just dropped in to see how you boys is doing. One man 
defiantly courageous, stood his ground. I thought all our colonial scouts were in the militia. I ain't your scout. We sure ain't no damn militia. One woman, fiercely independent, followed her spirit. My father warned me about people like you. He said, do not try to understand them. Do not try to make them understand you. Thank you so much. They shared an adventure. It was a war party. That means they're going to be attacking up and down the frontier. That took them from the edge of the wilderness. He saved us. We're alive only because of him. Are those the actions of a criminal? And into each other's hearts. Why didn't you leave when you had the chance? Because what I'm interested in is right here. I will find you. No matter how long it takes, no matter how far, I will find you. Academy Award winner Daniel Day Lewis, Madeline Stowe. The Last of the Mohicans. All right, so one of our typical first questions we kick off with is. Number one, when was the last time you saw this movie, or is this the first time you saw it, and how does the movie make you feel? Can I, can I interject with one question? You can. Was, was Magua a traitorous scout? He was the bad guy, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm just going to say, I don't know if he should be considered traitorous. Uh, I don't, I don't well, want to... I think I just derailed the podcast, yeah. but I, I don't know if that's accurate. I, uh, was he a traitor? Well, weren't weren't they trusting him to perform a task for them, and then he double crossed him? Did I, I might be way off because I, I don't. I thought he was just on the side of the French. Am I am I totally blanking on the movie? Because uh, well, this well, might get into the first question, he, but he was on the side of the French, and he wasn't. He I'm 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 gonna get mixed up with it too. Wasn't he pretending to be, or they thought the British thought he was Huron, but he was actually Mohawk, and they hired him as a scout, and he was really there to ultimately find what did he keep calling him Gray Hair. If that was okay, if that happened, and then maybe, maybe I just totally missed that subplot. I might have missed it too. I only had a chance to watch it. I try to watch the movies more than once if I can. I only had a time to watch this one once. So I could be messing something up with it too. But I thought that the British, I thought the British had an understanding of him based on what he told them that was not entirely honest. And okay. That, that he okay. had deceived them by telling them he was from a different nation than he actually was, and that's why they trusted him. And then that's why he had their when he had their whole you know, party ambushed, that it was because he had actually been lying the whole time, so that he could get to the two daughters, so that he could repay okay. the the British general. Okay. Because remember, he he specifically, and they asked that question in the scene where he kind of ambushed them all. And I don't remember if it was Hawkeye that asked that question. It was like, why did he specifically want the women dead? Like he was specifically targeting Alice and Cora. And why would he do that? What What's his reason for doing that? And at least I thought it was that he was wanting to get revenge on Colonel Monroe for what Colonel Monroe this, had done to his family. 
this is the first, this is the initial ambush, ambush when they're in the small little yes. group towards yeah. the beginning of the movie. Okay. All right. That's I'll what I have to go I, back. And, I could be off, but that's what I thought. No, I'm doubtful. I'm, I'm guessing you're right. And I know, Dennis, you've seen this more. So maybe we should segue into our first question. But like I said, I am um, definitely going to have to rewatch. Okay. Yeah, okay. I'll uh, think in more like little along the lines of what you're saying. I think you're, you're in this right thing, John. Okay. And again, okay. We have to watch it again with that thought in mind now. <laughs> okay. Or at least those scenes. Well, and again, um, I, I could be, I mean, the, the word traitorous, I, that was just what I pulled off of Google for the description of the movie. And, oh, yeah. and those descriptions yeah. have not always been accurate. To answer that question, it makes me feel, it's just a, what's the, what's the, let me think of a feel word, but it's not the first time I saw it. I saw it back in the day. I did not see it at the movie theater. I saw it on VHS first, at home video. And then I saw it multiple times on, you know, DVD. And that was just a kind of, you know, family enjoyed that film. So there was, uh, you know, I enjoyed the soundtrack. My brothers had the soundtrack uh, on CD. And it was just a movie that whenever it was island, you know, where you pick it up in a certain spot, especially if it was anywhere towards that epic. Because I think it's, all, it's, maybe we'll get into this more, but I think it's a lot like a book in the sense that it kind of starts slow and then just builds into, a, I think, an epic finish and beautifully shot. And, you know, as a, just love the, I, Thinking of a word. Oh man, that's a hard one. So your, your phrase is, how does it make me feel? Nostalgic a bit because there is a tie back to that time period with families. And I, and I, and I just, I don't know, man, that's a tough one to come up with a word. I think enthralled. I think it's a good, it's a good captivating film that gets better as it goes on. Starts slow, builds. All right. What about you, Pat? Well, I, this is the first time I've seen it. I, I think I've seen parts of it and I was aware of it. I remember when it came out and there's a lot of like images, you know, jumping off the cliff, the, 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 the Hawkeye character running into, in, running into combat, you know, I just, I, you know, coming straight on, I, I remember that scene. And so there's a lot of images, but I, I never really come down and, and watched it from beginning to end, which is like, that's why I'm, I'm struggling with some of these plots because it was, it was very intricate. There were a lot of interesting characters with a that had a lot of story to be told. It wasn't just a simple love story, right? There were a lot of characters in my mind, characters and plot within plot and, and so forth. And so that's where I'm I'm needing to see this again because I was getting all turned around in 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 some of the different characters. But yeah, I would say that this was the first time I've seen it. And I'll say if one word to describe it, I'll just say epic. Grand. Okay. And it's funny because in one way, I would say, oh, this is just this epic, grand story. But then in the other way, it kind of boils down to, you know, I, I could see it, it kind of boils down to just the love story. But then it's like, no, no, it really, it follows all these different characters and all that. But then I think, well, it was during the French and Indian Wars, and it was very narrowly focused on like one, you know, one area, right? So I... You know, it's it's interesting because it has that grand feel to it. Like I, I I'll just keep saying epic, so cool. even though it was very singularly focused in 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 one story. But that being said, I I wonder if, like you said, Dennis, just the way it was shot. I mean, there were those beautiful beautiful scenes, wonderful soundtrack, and they really devoted a lot of time. And it wasn't a super long movie. It was like what two hours. 
so it wasn't hours, like yeah. two hours and that's one of the yeah. things too that i always like was shocked like looking back when i had to watch i was like when am i gonna have time for this because i think it's like two and a half hours and then when i went and then that was a bad two and a half hours i mean it was good but i'm like no you need to kind of slot time for those longer films i'm going wait a second this was not two and a half hours i looked at the time and i saw it was less than two hours it felt like it was back then but not because it felt long it was because it felt epic and usually it's yeah and epics are usually big sweeping on with the wind, you know, longer. Yeah. Well, and they've really allowed a lot of time for just very scenic shots. I don't know exactly what it's called, but these just, you know, yeah, the shots of the fort, the shots of the landscape, the shots of, you know, and they just let that cook, right? And so that's why the movie felt, and not in a bad way, but why it felt longer than it was is because they just were so open with like like allowing these shots to develop. So you're talking about you're talking about the establishing shots. Yeah. Yes. There you go. <clears throat> well, I, I would I would have to ask Dennis if that's what an establishing shot is. But if that's what it is, then establishing shots use your opening. Like yeah. it just it does bring there's just grand shots like you yeah. like you referred to the the falling off the you know the death of the of of alice and gus at yeah. the end it was just like somebody could have show, shot that totally different but they make this almost grand like like this very tragic and, and i guess maybe that would be how it feel like in slow motion to you know the father seeing that and 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 just i don't know like i just i think yeah there's a certain pacing to it where they were like we're not rushing Mm-hmm. we're going to savor this scene or this shot as much as we think we need to without overkill. And I think it strikes the balance perfectly well. It yeah. doesn't feel slow. It doesn't feel long. It's just a nice pace. I, I liken it to just reading, you know, in a way, some kind of reading the book where, you know, you're turning the page and you're at this page and you sometimes read a part over and over again because that was really interesting. And it's like, and when you're ready to go to the next page, you go to the next page. I don't know. Like, I think it just failed very well. I think it's just a great, I think it's a great job. And I always enjoyed this film. Yeah. And I'll, I'll jump on with that. And, and even the combat sequences, and maybe I'm just coming at it from, you know, 30 years later where everyone jumps into mixed martial arts for, you know, intensive martial arts training and combat training and all that. And then it's heavily choreographed and, not that I'm impugning any of that, but this, even this seemed to have a, a maybe more realistic approach or less less on the high choreography and glitz and all that kind of stuff and just more on, it was just more of a primal, you know, what you would imagine people locked in combat looking like, you know? You, you know, you, you, you can't keep up the, the superpower, you know, superpower beat down for like, you know, a half hour, like you're going to get tired out, right? Like, like the first guy you might take down, you'll have energy by the second or third, you might be starting to run out of energy. If you have to run towards someone, you're going to, you know, you might get a little winded that whatever that rifle or that ax or whatever you're picking up is going to be heavy after some, after you swing it through someone's head a couple of times. So it just, even that had a very, you know, earthy and, and not relaxed feel. Say it again. Realism to it. Yeah. Yeah, it did. It it would be where they didn't have to go on this grant. And here's the interesting thing about that, because I think it is one of the, my favorite scenes, which is going to be the primary scene, but it's like the ending is 
that one is almost so beautifully scripted and slowed down the, you know, at the end where the dad mm-hmm. gets revenge mm-hmm. for the son, mm-hmm. that is like, that is like, and it's almost like they waited to the right moment to do that type of more scripted in a, such a way. And even that's a kind of a quick, simple thing, but there's a little bit of a pause where he's just standing there, just like waiting to be finished off almost. But all the other stuff works because if you would have done too much of that early on, I don't think it would have had the same impact that scene at the end of how like this one death here and all those deaths really at the end almost get like they're, they're just time and due where the battle scenes are like, like you said, more gritty, more mm-hmm. realistic, not, not shot to be, like you said, these elaborate choreographed place, choreographed things almost feels like it was done on one or two takes, you know? Mm-hmm. Or that last one, somebody just, the, I would, I would imagine the storyboarding for that, what they did for that finished scene is just, I mean, it's a violent scene, but man, it's just so beautiful. <laughs> Sounds yeah. weird saying it, but it's just the way he slides underneath, pops up, boom, spins, turns, pauses, looks, this is the man that just killed my son. And then all of a sudden just, you know, mm-hmm. it just, mm-hmm. it's almost like, what's his name is, is. Is enthralled with the scene and the way he just got killed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> somebody's like, "Man, wow, I had a good death." <laughs> yeah, it killed me pretty good. I, I died really well. <laughs> yeah, I died really well. Today is a good day to die. Yeah. Well, okay. So you you stole my you stole my how I feel about this movie. I was going to use the word enthralled because as I'm watching this movie, I'm I mean, I, I, Sharon and I love good period piece movies anyway. You know, mm-hmm. we we love any you know. Braveheart, Rob Roy, you know, any of the movies kind of in this vein, any of that whole series of like gods and generals, the civil war movies, Gettysburg, that kind of stuff. But this one in particular, like you were saying, just the way it was filmed and, and exactly that scene that you brought up, the, the kind of slow motion, you know, it's not a complicated battle. It's just one-on-one and there's really not even much that Magua is doing. He's mostly just getting hit and dying, but just the way the whole thing is shot, there were there were moments in watching this and I can't recall if I had seen it before. I thought I had seen it before and there were certain scenes that it was like, Oh, I've totally seen this, but there were big chunks of the rest of the movie that I'm like, I do not remember this at all. So I might've seen bits and pieces of it. I mean, I knew, I, I know the premise of the whole story and everything else. I've never actually read the book, but I, I know, you know what the story is about. I know the, the major points of it. But there were, t- there were times where I'm watching this movie and I purposefully, and actually I'm, I'm staring at one of them right now, I purposefully pick desktop backgrounds for my computer that are like mountain ranges or some kind of wildlife so that if I'm sitting there at work and I'm getting a little stressed out, I just shut all the windows down and just look at the desktop for a minute and just... Mm-hmm. I'm at peace in the mountains. And even though I'm sitting there at my desk at work and there were moments where I actually paused the movie. I was like, that looks like my computer desktop background. That's a beautiful Mm -hmm. shot. Like the, you you get the mountains, you get the forests, you get just all of that. Um, so yes, I think enthralled is a good way of putting it. That's just kind of how you feel about this movie. And, and I think just this style of movie anyway, these, these period pieces, the colonial, Movies like this or the Civil War era movies, stuff like that. The one thing, since we were kind of already, you, you were already kind of jumping into different different scenes that were 
memorable for you. The one in particular that I, I vividly remembered, I was like, I know this scene. I know what's coming up here. And it might have just been because I've seen this clip and I, I know this as being the most famous line from the whole movie is when the is when the warriors are coming through behind the waterfall and they're carrying are they carrying torches behind the waterfall and kind of that whole scene where they're coming back trying to find them back there. And Daniel Day Lewis's character, he's he's telling Cora, he's like, you know, you're you're probably gonna get captured. I just need you to just survive, like do what you can. And then that that famous line from the movie, the I will find you, like that whole that whole line from the movie, that scene, like that whole behind the waterfall scene, just the image of all those guys sneaking in behind the waterfall with their weapons. And I, I feel like they were carrying torches too. That just it, very vividly. I remembered that when, when that scene came up, I'm like, all right, I didn't remember a lot of this. I remember that. That scene is mm-hmm. awesome. Like the way it was shot, the lighting, the, I don't know. It's just, I love that scene. Yeah. It, it, it seems like there's a lot of great care has gone into these scenes. Even so, even if they're simple, they're well thought out. Everything seems to have a purpose. And we're going to let the camera linger on facial features. That's going to be, you know, we're going to let you look into their actor or actress's eyes. We're going to let you read between the lines. You know, it's, it's, it, it might be in some ways simple, but, it's very heady. Like every scene is just, is just full of imagery and poignancy. I think. I mean, putting it all together, it's just like, I just feel like they, it's again, one of those things where I don't know how anybody shoots that again and makes that more perfect. The tie in between the music, the pacing, the build, like it's just the characters, the performances, the acting, like I, I just, it's a great, just a great film. And I, and the, what you're saying with the, with the waterfall scene, all that, even just starting, I think it's, about 10 minutes from where, where Hayward, you know, takes the place and gets burned at the stake and voluntarily mm-hmm. survives for that. It's like 10 minutes from that until the, almost the end of the film. And they pack that 10 minutes with that beautiful score going. That's literally like climbing a mountain. Like if mm-hmm. you, if you, if you were to do this with students and I've done this type of stuff before with, with certain soundtracks where I've in my class back when I had my digital communications class, I would have the kids put their head down on the table. And I would play a song, a famous score or something. And then I would have them once they, you know, they don't know what it's from. They've never heard it before. And they listen to it. And then they, after it's over, they say, they, I, they tell me what they visualize listening to the music and people would say, and I'm thinking, who's not going to say like something so grand and cli- like almost like climbing a mountain, something, maybe a sport thing, like a climb there. It just, it, the music just builds to that so well in that scene. It just keeps, adds a different sort of layer to it. I mean, Pat, you're the music guy, but it's like. I, for, you know, I would, I don't know, like it just, it just, it just works so well to that point where there's some inspiring yet tragic happening, the speed of everything. And like you said, there's a bunch of people that die in that amount of time. That's super quick. So like all the other, all the other Indians who are with, um, you know, like with, we have Alice and, and they're like, they're waiting for, you know, Hawthorne to come up and or sorry, Hawkeye to come up and, and he's coming up and the dad, and they're just like, he's knocking people off quickly. Boom. They're done. The boom, two guns, boom, done. And it's like, there's a buildup of all these really relatively quick deaths. And then you get that one slow motion one and then that's slow motion, but it feels like it's a slow motion at the end. So I just think the build of that scene from, you know, even though he throws it down to, to uh, Daniel Day Lewis to, to put the other guy out of his misery, the heat. That's another one. Oh my God. Yeah. Great heat sit to shoot that scene without 
without having it be filtered through the heat, the heat you see from pavement and asphalt, you know, like that, that ripped mm-hmm. sort of like where you, I mean, you could feel the heat. It's just, it's just, yeah. I just think it's a great scene. I've watched that scene probably multiple times. Like I would say probably over a dozen times in my life. Yeah. I go on you because once YouTube was there, I was like, oh, I got to go see that one again. If I can't have time for the whole movie, you just pull that one up and watch it. It was like, wow. Yeah. That makes you want to go back and see the whole film. Again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, and I even just looking at, you know, the cinematographer, Dante Spinati, even just looking at some of the other movies he's made, I'm like, all right, well, yes. I <laughs> so many of these that I love and like I remember, even if the movie even if the movie was like, eh, it was okay, like the filming of it, you know, even just the cinematography, the look and the feel of it, even if I didn't care for some other parts of the movie, you know, I was I was looking down the list and I was like, All right, well Pat, he also did Hud mm-hmm. was the cinematographer for that one. So movie was eh, it was okay, you know, but fun in terms of like the the actual filming of it the the look and feel of it he also did nell he did heat he did the quick Mm -hmm. and the dead he did la confidential which i mean that movie looks amazing i know for that one he was trying to kind of emulate like old school black and white photography you know kind of the look and feel of, of using like an old camera to film that one and then I know he also did, oh, what were some of the other ones? He did Red Dragon that I think was kind of mm-hmm. like a prequel to Silence of the Lambs. He did X-Men The Last Stand, which regardless of how you feel about the movie, I mean, there are some scenes in there mm-hmm. that are beautifully shot. He's done, he did The Chronicles of Narnia, the Dawn Treader, did Ant-Man and the Wasp, you know, some of these other, uh, some of the others, others mov- other movies that I've seen. And I'm like, yeah, even if, even if other parts of the movie were maybe not up to snuff, at the very least, the way it was filmed, the cinematography piece of it was just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder if, you know, because you kind of talk about, you know, Daniel Day-Lewis is the lead actor in this, and a lot has been said about kind of his method acting and how he will, you know, just dive into a role and he will, you know, take on this. I wonder if, like, the the quality and the dedication that he brings to a movie, if you're going to have somebody like a Daniel Day-Lewis in your movie – does that up the game for everybody else? Because I'm thinking of other movies that Daniel Day-Lewis has been in, and I'm like, have I ever seen, of the ones of his I've seen, have I ever seen one that I felt like other parts of the movie were not up to par? You know, My Left Foot, In the Name of the Father, Lincoln, Gangs of New York, you know, all these other movies that he's been in, and I'm like, I wonder if there's just, if there's a correlation between it's a Daniel Day-Lewis movie, so... The rest of this has got to be pretty amazing and epic as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would it would be interesting to know what that's all how that all fits together when he's involved in the project, mm-hmm. you know, which I did read on the IMDb trivia page that for was it for a couple of months is at least a couple of months, maybe more than that, that a lot of times he will, you know, he will take extreme measures to prepare for his acting roles. And for this one, I said he lived in the wilderness where his character might have lived hunting, fishing, living off the land for several months prior to shooting. So I like, did see he, that. Yeah. When he gets into it, he gets into it. Yeah. I mean, I think it will. I think he obviously does up the production. I mean, you hear him talk and it's just like his respect for film and mm-hmm. how he approaches so professional and just, one of my fa- yeah, one of my favorite actors. But yeah. Well, and and he seems to be pretty selective about you know he doesn't have like these massive catalog of movies. He seems yeah. to be pretty selective about what he chooses and. Yeah. Right. Right. Humble, humble person too. Mm-hmm. 
So here's a question for you guys. So the theme of the book, Last of the Mohicans, is the idea that races mixing together can be both a very good thing, but also a very dangerous thing. And that was kind of, you know, that was Cooper's idea as he was writing the book was that this is important, like interracial mixing, interracial relationships, things like that are very good and we should want those type of things. However, it's also dangerous. There's a lot of dangers that come along with it. Do you get the feeling that that theme carried over enough to this movie? Or do you feel like, because I feel like sometimes when people look at this movie, they see, oh, yeah, it's one of those like period piece love stories. Is it a love story movie? Because it is, you know, in the trailer and some of that, they really do kind of play up the, the love story, the relationship between them. Is it more about the interracial mixing of people and friendship of people, or is it more about the love story? Which one comes across more to you guys when you watch it? Mm. Or is it both? I mean, do they do a successful job of mixing the two without one overpowering the other? I think think it's both, but I feel like the love story angle might be a little bit more in the movie versus the book. Might be a little more emphasized. That's my, I mean, that's just my my feeling on it, but Mm -hmm. I mean... God, uh, just that line too, just, I will find you. Mm-hmm. Just, there's something so utterly romantic about that. that and, and just there's some very good, you know, fireside scenes and lighting and stuff with Madeline Stowe and him that just, and I think they make such a great, I mean, the, the, the chemistry between those two is really good. The looks. You know, not quite as romantic as when General Zod was yelling at Superman's mom <laughs> in Man of Steel, I will find him. It's not quite the yeah. same, but... It's it's slightly different. A little different. But like, different. I would just say this, that like, when I watch that movie, you believe that those two, like, I mean, yeah, it's, there's just, there's good chemistry there between those two. And they do it by a lot of just looks. Like, there's, there's some certain scenes where I remember he's looking at her and you can just tell, he's just like, you know, what you can kind of tell what he's feeling behind it. So I think, I for me, I, I, I think of it a lot as, you know, the, obviously the love story angle mixed within that. But yeah, it does touch on the other part, the the, the mixing. But but I definitely feel, um, at least my takeaway is maybe it's because I had a crush on Mal and stuff too. So, <laughs> well, that'll do it. That'll that'll sway me. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The other thing, thinking about the love story angle of it, the Major Hayward. You know, yeah. as a character, sometimes you kind of would picture a character like that, especially being a British officer in a movie taking place in colonial times you would kind of expect him to come across more as a villain. And especially how early on, like, he's trying to woo her. He's trying to be like, hey, you know, maybe you don't love me now, but we can get married, and then that will, you know, that'll develop after that as long as you can mostly tolerate me. You know, we can be friends, and it could develop into that. And the interesting thing about his character in this movie is, you know, he sacrifices himself later for her. The interesting thing is he's he's not a villain and you don't really ever get him portrayed as a villain. And I think in other movies like this, they yeah, would yeah. they would tend to lean more towards the the heel angle for a character like him. Like the romantic opposite is always has to be some sort of jerk. Right. You know? And he's really not. You don't. You feel like I remember just feeling horrible when he does do what he does. I mean, that you're impressed, obviously, you know, like, man, and and but at the same time, yeah, I remember like as they're running away, like thinking hello, can somebody like put him out of his misery? And they do just that. The first time I remember seeing it, I was yeah. like, 
It's kind of like in uh, Pulp Fiction when, when somebody goes back for the, for the, for yeah. like talking to the screen, like, uh, hello, like you got to go back and help to that. There's something ain't right. Yeah. Man just did this. You need to do this, you know? I'm going to take a moment perfectly selecting my weapon, but I'll go back for him and help him. Like without talking, it's just, it's not, hey, give me my gun. I will help put him out. You know, like everybody knew what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. Stowe looks back. She's got that worried look, but she knows it's going to be done. You know, and he throw tosses the gun to him because he's got the, the sharp shooting ability. And it's yeah. like, you just know what's happening and you, you know, and, and, it, it, he's in pain. They show that shot before, and you're just like, "Why are you letting him suffer and run away?" I'm just wondering if they over if they redubbed this movie and they put that the music from Pulp Fiction from that scene <laughs> with this. If that would somehow change the emotional impact of the, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, and you were right. Who's, who's right Major there. Who's Major Hayward? Major Hayward's dead, baby. Major Hayward's <laughs> dead. <laughs> yeah. But I think the love part that you said the waterfall scene is beautifully shot. I yes. mean, um and I and he's like, I will find like I will, you know, that whole thing. And then they are coming up with torches and all that. And it's a beautifully shot scene where it's like, are they gonna get back together? Are they gonna find each other again? Like but you believe he's saying it with all, like you, when he does that line, it's just so believable too. Yeah. Like the passion of it. Like I will. And, and even when they're running, like when the, when the, when what's name is running up to, to avenge his son, it's like, you see, he's gritting his teeth too. Mm-hmm. Like she gets to grieve her sister, you know, and you see her grieving and they even, I'm amazed at how much they pack in that last 10 minutes. I was, that was one of the biggest things that I think amazed yeah. me when I watched this was I actually timed that scene. And I think I, when I went to YouTube again and saw it on YouTube and I was like, wait, they didn't cut it or edit this. This is, and I went, when I was watching, I'm like, oh my God, this is all packed into with less than 10 minutes. And they let everything happen. Like you get the grieving of the sister and my God, it feels like the pauses that they shoot on Alice when she's going to suit, you know, do the suicide jump. Mm -hmm. And and what's name is like putting his hand out and he almost doesn't understand what she's doing. He almost seems mystified that you're going to jump off this cliff. Like, what are you doing? Come here, come here. You know, and he's putting his hand like to come come back to me, like, and then she does, and he kind of absorbs it for a second. They actually like have a shot where he absorbs it. She looks off. She's looking at the, you know, it just, and where they picked the spot and the scouting of the location was like a perfect location for the scene with the slow. I mean, it just, it just, I don't know, just like epic, enthralled. I mean, I think those are all part. I mean, I remember feeling like I was running up with them. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in my seat, but I feel like I'm running with them. That's how well it was shot. Yeah. And I'm just going to say, and, and, and there's no way I've been sitting here trying to figure out how to say this without sounding like I'm, I'm, I'm saying a negative about the movie, but I think it's because you're so focused on these stories and these individual characters and the looks and the, you know, everybody knowing that they're going to want, give him the rifle and that he's going to put this guy out of his misery. The fact that this guy sacrificed himself, but he's, you know, he's the, the other love interest, but it's not like negative, you know, all these things we've talked about and how it feels epic and grandiose and all that, but it's very much on a micro level, right? You never zoom back. You never pull back and look at the thing from a macro level. And that's where I think that I didn't pick up on any, oh, this is how people from different ethnic backgrounds can coexist. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
you really never get more why the Huron were fighting on the French side and the Mohicans were fighting on the British side. I, do you know what I'm saying? You never really even get into, well, what's the difference? What, the colonists are fighting. What are the relations between the colonists and the British, right? Are there French colonists? Are the French colonists fighting the British colon? Like you never really get that whole aspect of it. You don't understand the mo the motivations between, you know, like the, the the indigenous peoples that are being demonstrated. You never really get well. What are their motivations, right? Like they're either the good guys or the bad guys. And I'm not trying to take a drag on the movie. I'm just saying if 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 that if we're supposed to look at this as a, as an essay on, you know, relations and all that, I think, I think we'd, ha I would have to say it fell short, but I just don't know if that was the intent of the movie because it's so well done and so focused on the interpersonal relationships between the characters, right. And all of this beautiful, you know, camera work and acting and music. I just don't find those other things being, addressed i mean it it's there i mean you obviously see people that are of you know you know indigenous american nations and people fight and then you've got colonists and british and all that kind of thing I, they're all interacting with each other but i don't think i i just don't see the movie as addressing it in terms of explaining much more yeah. you know well, and, there's, and there's again, so much... I, that's not a negative. I just yeah. don't think that that was within the purpose. That's yes, that's right. not what it's about. Right. That's not what it's about. That's Very why deep. I think it does. It leans more towards that love story because if there's so much, so much of the history. If this was a historical epic and you wanted to really get at the history behind it all, there's so much of that kind of the interpersonal relationship between races, between the ethnicities right. that they just do not cover at all. I mean, you you get right. the whole. I mean, a big chunk of the, the French and Indian War, or the depending on where you live, the Seven Years' War, or the French and Indian War, I mean, a whole big chunk of that was that it was the some of the different ways that the Native peoples were treated by the colonists. You know, you had the French colonists that were, you know, uh, taking up parts of Canada and the Louisiana Territory and all that, and then you had the British colonists and had two very different outlooks on how to interact with the Native peoples that were already there. You know, the British, it was their philosophy that, well, these people are here to, you know, serve us and to be pushed west so that we can colonize and settle and, and do everything that we need to do. And so we'll just keep pushing them, you know, off their land because this is our land now. And the French were kind of more along the lines of their philosophy was, well, you know, let's, let's work with these people. Let's trade with these people. Let's, you know... Uh, let's get to know them a little bit more. So, I mean, you had two very different philosophies on how to deal with the native peoples that were already here anyway. And so it doesn't really, you don't really see much of that in this movie. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if they were going to balance it a little bit more with, you know, Cooper's idea in the original novel of friendship and, and alliances between different races being something important, I think you probably would have seen a little bit more of that, but then you would have hit, you know, like you said, Dennis early on, it's like, this movie is less than two hours. And I think because of that, it does what it needs to do in the two hours. If you tried to bring in too much more of the historical piece of it, you're, I think you're going to lose the quality of the love story side right. of it. So it's, 
you know, while it may not always fit with every piece of the novel and the intent of the novel, I think for what it was and what it was trying to do, it's, it's really successful, Mm -hmm. but not, not weighing itself down with, you know, going too far into the history part of it, which normally I like to see a little bit more of, but I think with this movie, I'm, I'm totally fine. Yeah. That's, that's for another, that's for another time in another movie. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple of, before we kind of wrap this up and then get to our three questions, I've got a couple of trivia things that I thought were kind of fun for this one. So in the novel, Hawkeye's real name, now in this one, his real name is Nathaniel Poe, but in the original novel by James Fenimore Cooper, his name is Natty Bumpo. And one of the reasons they switched it to Nathaniel Poe is really just because they felt like the audience would laugh at it. That's their only reason for changing it. They're like, yeah, no, people are going to laugh at Natty Bumpo, so let's change it to Nathaniel Poe. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. For anybody who is a movie sound buff at one hour and 38 minutes into the movie, you can hear the Wilhelm scream as Hawkeye. I heard. Did, did you hear it? Yeah. I heard. A, I heard a Wilhelm. There you go. This is not a movie that's being rated R. This is not a movie that I'm going to watch with Nora. But every time a movie comes up and we hear the Wilhelm scream, she just kind of like turns and smiles. And like, yes. Yeah. Nice That's job. always fun teaching your kids the, about the Wilhelm screams yeah. the first time. Yeah. Let's see. Oh, and I've, I've, I'm going to play a little bit of it because this is actually one of my favorite uh, musicians. So, again, not really remembering if I had seen this movie or not. As I'm watching the movie this time around, I'm like, well, that music sounds familiar. Like, where do I know that music from? And I kept, as the music kept playing, I was like, I know this music. Like, for some reason, I, I've, I've heard this music so much. And then I realized, I, it had, it, had it had any lyrics to it, I would have picked up on it right away. But this is a Scottish kind of folk singer, Dougie McLean. And they used one of his songs off of his 1990 album called The Search. And they kept replaying this like over and over again throughout the movie. I'll play it for a second. It's just, it's a real simple tune. But as soon as I heard that, I was like, wait a minute, that's Dougie McLean. How did I not, if I've seen this movie before, like how did I not pick up on that being Dougie McLean? So... Cool. Yeah. Oh, and the other funny one that I that I pulled off the IMDb page was, <laughs> so they spent, when they were filming some of the siege scenes, they were filming like really late into the night, sometimes, you know, into the morning time. Did you read this one, Pat? I did. Yeah. This is outstanding. So, <laughs> so after they had been filming for a really, really long time, they had actually set up loudspeakers around the battlefield so that he could, so Michael Mann could, you know, hop on a microphone and, and direct people on what to do, and, you know, because they built these massive sets. And so he's got the microphone, he's got the loudspeakers, and all of a sudden he's like yelling at somebody, and they had been filming for hours and hours and hours over the nighttime. And all of a sudden Michael Mann is yelling, turn off the orange light. Whoever turned on that orange light, turn it off. And, and then over, all of a sudden, somebody comes back and they're like, orange light? What orange? Michael, that's the sun. <laughs> I love that so story. They had been filming for so long that the sun came up and he thought it was like an orange light that somebody had turned on. <laughs> all right. Well, my last question for you guys, I'm not even going to ask the question, does this movie hold up 30 years later? Because I think we all love it. So the question I'm going to ask you is, one that we do ask sometimes and that kind of is along the lines of you know this movie holding up if this movie were to come out in the theaters today like if it was coming out this weekend what about this movie would draw you what's the one thing that would draw you to go see this movie i mean seen it before or not seen it before? no if you've never seen it before if you saw the movie poster or if you saw the trailer for this movie 
what would if it came out this weekend and you'd seen the poster and you'd seen the trailer, what one aspect of this movie would draw you to go see it? Daniel Day Lewis. Okay. And Matthew though too, but Daniel Day Lewis. I yeah. mean just fan of his movies. Yeah. The historical epic. The, the, the mm-hmm. historical fiction. That'd that'd sucker me in. I think same for me. I think just this is the fact that it's so many of the things I enjoy about this movie are the same things I enjoy about Braveheart and what I enjoy about, you know, Rob Roy and some of those other movies far and away, even like the stuff we enjoyed about far and away, like all those different pieces. That's that's that and Daniel Day Lewis are going to draw me in to go yeah. see this one because all the I haven't seen a ton of his movies, but of the ones I've seen, I've always really enjoyed them. So, all right, it's time for three questions. He asks each traveler five questions. Three questions. Three questions. It's impossible to answer. Impossible because you don't know the answer. Nobody could answer that question. I want to ask you a bunch of questions. I want to have them answered immediately. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. All right, question number one. What is your favorite movie? Okay, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a, a last-minute audible here. Favorite movie or TV show that takes place during the colonial-slash-revolutionary period? So from, like, 1492 to 1783. So, and the reason why I did that was because when I asked these questions to my family, my wife was like, can I do a TV show? And I was like, no, well, I mean, no, but yes. Cause there are some really good TV shows. She's like, well, what about, so if you just say movies, what about that John Adams series that was on HBO years ago? I was like, I did. yes. She's what about, uh-uh. she was like, what about the uh, turn Washington spies? I'm like, Dit. yes. <laughs> so. So I will open it up and I will I will extend you the same kindness I extended to her and I will say movie TV show that takes place during the colonial period from 1492 to 1783. Does it have to be set in America? No. Okay. I will extend my kindness and say no. Okay. This one's hard for me. I I don't I I thought you were going to say Muppet Treasure Island spiked the football. <laughs> yeah. No, I I struggle with historical movies, right? There's some that I see, and I love watching the heck out of them. Oh, there's an epic. I'll watch it. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, I, you know, there's no way without, like, you know, virtue signaling that, oh, I, I read a lot of books. So I'm just going to flat out say I need to read a lot more. But I tend to read a lot of nonfiction books, right? So, like, the John Adams series, wasn't that the one that was based on the John Adams book? Yes. Right. So, like, I've read the book. You know what I'm saying? Like, I always do that, and then I never do the other thing and watch the series. Like, that's just just kind of a weird quirk of Pat's personality. So for this, I'm going to go the complete fantasy route and I'm going to say Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> I, I, You know what? In the back of my mind, I thought you were going to say that. 
Okay. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry, listening no. audience. I'm sorry. But no, I, I, I'm going to go Pirates of the Caribbean, the original, just because it, it was totally a fantasy look and approach to that time period. But it was just colorful and fun. And I, you know, I remember growing up and watching all the Errol Flint pirate movies and all that and doing the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney World. Same kind of thing. It was just, oh, this is just fun as a kid and it's fantasy and it's, and that movie had it, right? Swashbuckling, sword fighting, kind of the same deal. And, you know, the ships and the whole thing, it made, you know, sailing around the Caribbean, you don't see, you know, people affected with disease and everything else. It's just like, it's colorful and fun and a fantasy escape kind of deal. And so I get, I get suckered into that a whole bunch. So I'll say, I'll say Pirates of the Caribbean. And I know there's like tons of historical movies and TV shows out there. I'm sorry that I have failed this podcast and by extension, humanity itself, but I'm saying Pirates of the Caribbean. It's acceptable. All right, Dennis, what have you got? Muppets Treasure Island. I know. I know. You know, I first touched on this and I was going back and writing my list and I started and I never completely finished it. But I know that I believe that I had, obviously, the Patriot came to mind right away. And then there was the the uh, one with Leonardo, the man in the Iron Mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, those are the two that I was, like, lingering on the most. And I, I know there's more out there, but I just, I was going to, like, go online and get do my research for this, sorry, and look back at more pieces that actually fit in that time period. I know there's a, um, there's a, there's a, a Charlie Brown, <laughs> something called the Mayflower. That, yes. that was not what I was looking at, but yeah. yeah. Those are the first two I think that probably go through. You might throw an animation in with Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you are you talking about the This Is America, Charlie Brown? Yeah, yeah, that yeah. one. Yeah. <laughs> I actually remember seeing that. So yeah. I think I saw it in school. Wait a minute, John. Hang on. What was it? What was the time period range? Fourteen ninety-two to seventeen eighty-three. Eighty-three. So the page. Oh, okay. Near seventeen eighty. Okay. I was gonna I was gonna make a run at Master and Commander, but that does mm. not. No. No. That's okay. Then that 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 simplifies life for Pat. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm good. Well, that's why when I and when I came up with the question, I was like, Oh, and I love this but it's civil war. And mm-hmm. I love this but nope, that's civil war. Yeah. Dang it. That's <laughs> why I said, like in your brain you think right away, so you really have to kinda of almost go back and make sure they fit in there and mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like, does Amadeus count in there too? That's going to be my choice. So yes. Oh, okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah, there you yeah. go. I mean, I could I could go old school. That period, but I don't think of it right away. Like it's yeah. as I said, I go back and think of a lot of. I could go old school and do. I could go all the way back to Captain Blood from the thirties. I mean, I'm gonna have to. Throw oh, uh, Liam. Yeah. Rob Roy, but yeah. I I I get it. like the the first one that came to mind was the Patriot, just because I knew that yeah. that was yeah. the Patriot. A great movie. Yeah, I I think you know, for my two, I I got it. What are you gonna say, Pat? You know what? You're right. The Captain Blood. Yeah. Boy, gosh, it's given Pirates of the Caribbean a big run. <laughs> you got because I mean Errol Flynn, Basil Rathbone. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I think I might have to alter my answer because, honest to goodness, like I grew up from like the age eight watching Captain Blood yeah. <laughs> till now, Pirates of the yeah. Caribbean. Lo, that's, and I referenced them. That's the thing. I just, like, it didn't even occur to me. Yeah. 
like Captain Kirk said, it didn't even occur to me to take Gorkin at his word. Mm-hmm. You know, I, yeah. Captain Blood, the Seahawk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll, I'll give you Captain Blood if you want that one. Yeah. Because my answer, I think my answer is probably going to be Amadeus. And then my, and I haven't seen this one in a long time, but I remember really enjoying it when I saw it. The Mission from 86. Yeah. It's got, it's mm-hmm. Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, Aiden yeah. Quinn. It was like this, this group of Jesuit priests that are trying to protect the mission in South America. And I just, it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I remember really enjoying it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do remember that one. Yeah. That one. And what was the other one I saw several years ago? Oh, it's called amazing grace. Mm-hmm. And it was, I always, I always mess up his name because it's Welsh. And I apologize to anybody who listens to us from Wales. Is it Ian, Ian Grafud? I've probably said that wrong. His name is probably like Ian Smith. The guy that played, uh, the guy that was the lead in the uh, Fantastic Four movies. He played, he played uh, Reed Richards in the okay. original Fantastic Four movies. He plays William Wilberforce, who is trying to end the slave trade in England, mm-hmm. in the British Parliament. Really good movie. It came out in like the early 2000s, and I remember watching, I think I saw it in the theater, and I remember that being a really good one. Yeah. Well, when you said yeah. TV shows, too, then I started thinking, like, is it Roots? Yeah. Roots would fall under that. Roots would fall under that. Watching yeah. animals. Yeah. If you haven't seen Pat, I would have, have you seen Turn, Washington Spies? Uh, is it, is that a TV series? It was a TV series. It was on, I think it was on AMC. I could have sworn, you know what? I can't like okay. quote it chapter and verse, so I'll need to see it again. But I remember when that came out and I remember watching sections of it. I think you would really enjoy that. Like when I, th- okay. when I think of like, if I ever find something and I got to recommend it to Pat, like I think that show would be that and kind of around the same time. Did you ever watch the show Hell on Wheels? No, but you Rather have up? recommended yes. that. Okay. Mm. Those, yeah. those are the two AMC shows you got to watch. But okay. I, I think, you know, knowing knowing how much you like this time period and historical stuff, and I, I really think the turn Washington spies, it's about the Culper ring. Mm-hmm. I, I think you'd enjoy that one. Okay. Okay. All right, question number two. What is the best dive off a cliff scene in a movie? I I actually Googled dive off cliff scenes in movies and stuff and went through uh and went through stuff. I I'm gonna tell you, I'm going with 1917. He didn't dive, but there is a jump off a cliff scene. Okay. Yeah. And you guys have all seen 1917, yes? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to say it's one of the last movies before the shutdown. One of the last movies I saw in the theater. But In fact, I'm going to count that as the last movie I saw in the theater because I don't want yeah. to count the one I did <laughs> I see in the theater I did not enjoy. We don't talk about Bruno. The, yeah, and there's there's a scene in there where, well, without the spoilers, basically he's running and, you know, like jumps off. And that movie is all like the one continual shot yeah. thing. And so... Just the fact that that they had that aspect into it was pretty cool. But, you know, of looking at that list, I think that movie was, you know, the most the most powerful. Yeah. So I suppose I could also say Pirates of the Caribbean, but. Mm -hmm. But no, I'll say 1917. Mm -hmm. Dennis, what has your research told you? Oh, no, I, I'm just going by the one that came. I Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. I, I mm-hmm. thought somebody was going to pick that one. Yep. 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 Yeah. 
that's mine. Some runners up. There's a move. I think I've talked to you guys about there was up a cliff, but there's there's some stuff in Birdie. There's a movie called Birdie with Matthew Modine and Nicolas Cage, but it's not really a cliff, I guess. Technically, it's up a tower. Hmm. Yeah, the word cliff, because I started thinking of jumping off, and I, I also thought of the fugitive, but it's not really a cliff. Mm-hmm. He does the one jump off and looks and looks back, and you know, yeah. But that's like Butch Cassidy and the Sunday's Kid for me. Yeah. I'm going to go with, and it's not really, it's not as much a like diving off a cliff, it's a little bit more of like being thrown off a cliff. I'm going to go with the scene in The Count of Monte Cristo when he is where he's pretending to be the the dead body of the priest mm-hmm. and they go and mm-hmm. they throw him off the cliff and at the last minute he reaches over and grabs the guy that's got the keys and pulls him off with him. Yeah. It's like that that entire sequence of how he escapes the the Chateau d'If on the island and all of that I absolutely love that scene. That's such a fantastic movie. And I love I love how it ends too because he you know as they're like one two three and he like they throw him and he grabs the guy at the last second and takes him down with him. <laughs> and this whole sequence of you know he's down in the water and then he has to you know he's he's fighting the guy and he's he's getting the keys so he can unlock himself and then he has to drown the guy so he can get away and then it just kind of cuts as he's swimming away then it cuts back up to the two guards that are standing up at the top of the cliff and they're like well that could have gone better. <laughs> Yeah. I was, uh, did I, did the Thelma and Louise counter as it being in a, yeah, sure. A, I mean, yeah, I get, you, could, you could drive off a cliff just as much as dive off a cliff. Yeah. Nobody wanted to pick, <laughs> nobody wanted to pick cliffhanger or vertical limit or any of those. No. Yeah. Avengers. Yeah. Um, was, was Superman golden in, eye? Uh, was there a golden eye? Yeah. yeah, was Superman? It, God, what was what did movie did you just? Oh, Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Was it Superman in that? Yes, he was the didn't, he was didn't the son. He, didn't he play? The, yeah, he played the son. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yep. All right. Question number three: What's your favorite Daniel Day Lewis performance? That's a really bad question. <laughs> Do you have an answer, Dennis? Because I have an answer, but I don't want to steal yours. No, you go. I'm because the one I'm going with, you probably haven't. You would. I don't think you're going to say it. So I think okay. I know. I think I know Pat's answer. Okay. Well, wait a minute, John. Do you want to go first? I'll go first, and I'll say I really enjoyed him. And I I had not seen it up until we did it for the podcast. I really enjoyed him in My Left Foot. Oh, that's so a great choice. I, I'm going to go with that one. All right. Hey, I also go- really liked him in Lincoln. I mean, that was a good one too. But I I think I'd go with My Left Foot. Well, I said like oh. every film you can say. So right. what is really. I'm I'm pretty certain I know Pat's answer though, so I'm. I well I I hope I don't let you down. I'm going to oh. say Lincoln. Oh okay. Yeah, I and I'm I'm going to be careful. I'm not going to say much because I I want to be real careful to not steal any of Dennis's thunder. But I, the book that they base that movie off of, the team of rivals, and it's is it, Kearns Goodwin. It's Doris Kearns Goodwin, I yes. think, or I might. Yeah, yep. I think. Wow, what a fantastic book. I mean, isn't it? And then for, you know, like absolute page turner. I mean, it's an amazing book. And I just thought they did such a great job with that movie. And I was just seeing them bring Abraham Lincoln to life was just amazing watching that film. And in such an emotional way, seeing them bring Abraham Lincoln to life. And I'm like, you know, how hard is that? 
like you have no idea of really what Abraham Lincoln sounded like. Like you have an idea, but not an idea, right? Like you don't even have like early recording devices that can have it figured out, you know? And just just the way he did that and brought him to life in what I felt was a pretty believable way. I, I just thought that that was, uh, I just thought that that was amazing. So I, I'm going to go, I'm going Lincoln. I'll let Dennis go and then I'll, there's, you know, we'll make sure to throw the runner up in there. So you're going to ask me that question again, John. What's your favorite Daniel Day-Lewis performance? Yes. All right. <laughs> All I right. thought you were going to ask him to paint him like one of the French girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is, it really is like a tough question, but I mean, and whenever I get these, because I know you guys are going to go with some of those, like, like Lincoln is awesome. He disappears in that role. I think Kingsley of New York is, is awesome. And that like sticks out too. That's, I would pr- that's the gonna, one I thought Pat was going to choose. I'm going to pull a Mazooka on this one and I'm going to go with, I'm going to take two. Okay. If you one, that's the more popular and I'm going to say there will be blood. Okay. Go with that one. And then my runner up is one that you would not normally have thought. And it's just because it's one of my favorite movies of his. So whether or not the performance was, you know, whatever, I mean, it's yeah. like they're all, they're all a game performances. It's going to be called the boxer. So oh, yeah. I haven't seen that one really, yet. A really close uh, runner up on that is the, in the name of the father as well. Mm-hmm. Like that great performance, which we'll be doing mm-hmm. next year. Yes. 93. And I don't know if you've seen that one. I have not. Yeah. You'll like that. If you like, yeah, I mean, I think you'll like that one. That's a I've, good seen, one. I've, I've seen bits and pieces. It's one of those that I haven't yeah, seen the whole thing. That one. And it, and it has a little bit of the, not the same vibe as the boxer. The boxers, it, well, I guess it does. You know, it's kind of, it's, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's kind of in the same category. I think it might be by the same guy, Jim Sheridan, is the Irish director. Let me check and see if he did the boxer too. I think he did. Yep, yes, Jim Sheridan. Yeah, he did the boxer. So they have to do with a lot of the, obviously, the, the fighting in Belfast and the, and the bombing and the, those type of things. It's all during that time period. And uh, yeah, where the, the, the uh, in the name of the father is based on an actual real event. The boxer is more fictional, has a love story in it. And, and it's just, yeah, there's, there's a, obviously, but the boxer is not the main thing. It's a boxing movie, but it's set during that time period. It really deals with that. And I think it's a solid performance there as well. So somebody who, you know, was put in prison for taking a rap for some, you know, something and then coming out of it and building a life. I mean, it's, I think it's a great film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another good soundtrack too on that one as well. But Emily Watson is in that as well. So I think those are two really good, like the boxer and in the name of the father. And I would definitely echo it. Like I said, again, you had my left foot. That's probably the first thing I ever saw with him. Yeah. I'm almost positive. It's the first, I mean, I guess Gandhi might've been the first thing, but I don't really think of him in there as well. Oh, you know, yeah. I know he was in that as a supporting thing, but like my left foot was like the first, I think movie I ever saw with, with him. It was, I think it was before I might've seen last Mohicans. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, that was in 89. Yeah, so it would have been 89, and then yeah. so I was about 17, 18 years old, and I saw my last foot on VHS at my house. I remember, I kind of remember a lot. Like, I remember it's in the living room. I remember watching the movie. And then performance was a great one. So that was my first, but then I, I it, he just gets better, and he's just, he's just a consummate actor. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's no whoopsie-daisy. There's no fluff. There's no paycheck, you know? 
He's not, he doesn't do paycheck movies. It doesn't feel like. Yeah. He takes challenges, disappears in roles. I think he's probably one of the best actors that lived. I think he's, I, I, yeah, I'm definitely a big fan of his. Mm-hmm. All right, Pat, before we wrap up, you said you had a runner-up movie. Did we already mention I was it? just going to say the runner-up would have been probably Gangs of New York, you know. That's the one I thought you were going to choose. I thought you were going to Yeah. Go. Yeah. 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 You thought, what was that? I thought you were going to go that one too. To be honest with you. Yeah. Seeing no, as yeah. how you reference it like three times in every conversation we have. <laughs> yeah, I know. So I just, I just have to throw it in there because mm-hmm. it is. I mean, like the Bill the Butcher character. My yeah. predictions for this one. Love Daisy. That with Gangs of New York. Yeah. Now, since it's about here, what would you? Let's just guess this, just really quick. What would you have guessed a Age of Bazooka would have chosen for? What movie would he have chosen? Hmm. I feel like he might have gone with the last of the Mohicans. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe. And then I don't know about Bo. I think I think Bo might have said Gangs of New York. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I could see Jeff seeing I, Gangs of New York too. Yeah. I could see Jeff I doing know, I, I could see Jeff doing There Will Be Blood, maybe. We're gonna yeah. have to be yeah, podcast. Yeah. We need to, because they won't hear this till you edit, you know, until it's put out and everything else. So we just yeah. have to make sure we ask them to answer those questions. Yeah. And then we'll see who won. Yeah. I'm going to go last in the Mohicans. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's a I good know, choice. I know the current ones have a more favorite, like, lean because they're more recent, but I don't know. Yeah. I think you might come back for one. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this one. So if you want to find more of our episodes, go to 30podcast.com. We are at 30podcast on all the different social media outlets that are out there. Our next episode's coming up. we got a whole bunch of good stuff coming up. At the end of March here, we've got Scent of a Woman. We have The Bodyguard. We have in April, we've got Patriot Games, Under Siege, A Few Good Men, and Universal Soldier. Our Patreon for that one is going to be High Noon from 1952. So that's, uh, what are we hitting? That's 70 years for that one? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 70 for that one. And then in May, we've got our like animation and musicals. So we've got Noises Off, Newsies, Aladdin, and Cool World. And then our Patreon for that one is going to be Singing in the Rain from 1952. So we've got a couple of months back-to-back with 1952 movies. So all mm-hmm. kinds of good stuff coming. But that's going to do it for this one. So if you join us back here again next week, we'll be here for Scent of a Woman with Al Pacino and Chris O'Donnell. And uh, otherwise, thank you, gents, for being here. I'm, uh, I'm going to interrupt really quick and just yeah. throw three things before because I feel like I'll regret it when I, you know, I was thinking about it. We never really – I mean, we did. We got into soundtrack. But soundtrack, yeah. again, if you don't own the soundtrack, it's worth worthy of your library or streaming, whatever, playlist, whatever. Cora was actually played at our wedding, the song Cora from the soundtrack. And then also there is a really good, I put in the link for you guys to kind of feel, but if you go online on YouTube, there's a really cool, interesting, I did not get through all of them yet. I got through one of them, but then I found out there's four parts. There's a making of, it might've been on maybe the DVD or a Blu-ray, but there's a whole making of The Last of the Mohicans kind of behind the scenes, which is really interesting with uh, interviews of cast and director and Michael Mann and all that as well. I think was that the last two things. I think that was it, music at our wedding. And yeah, I think that was probably it. Yeah, okay. nice, cool, man. Yeah, the soundtrack yeah. is awesome. We we talked a little bit about it, but it's it's great. But the core was dur- core was during the ceremony. That that song. Nice. That's something. Yeah. Nice. That's my playlist. Yeah. 
great music tells great stories. Quoting David W. Collins in the soundtrack show. I mean, it's it's great music. Yeah. God, West Duty, man. Great. Yeah. Yeah. When's let's You're, do an episode just about him. No, we didn't touch on this, but like he's a villain in this, but is he a villain? Do you ever feel sorry for him as well? Or no? That's what that's it? The, the line about like it's the line of like basically like where this is what they're gonna have to worry about, you know? Like mm-hmm. he was right. So how do you kind of hate him for that? I read a, I, I read an article about, all about him. And it's funny because someone described him and said his characters, he plays them as if he's the good guy. Mm-hmm. Like that's how much commitment. And that's why those characters. Yeah. Like Wince, let's do a Patreon episode about him. He like sees yeah. that, the threat that the, you know, the white men bring to, you know, and, and, I, and it's so, yeah, I mean. Obviously, there's a villainous part to him, but at the same point, you know, you can empathize with that. So anyway, just want to shout out to him because I think he really carries his film a lot too. Like he brings it, all of them do. I mean, like, but, but I think having that character just. Yes. That's Pat. It's another reason you need to go watch Hell on Wheels because he's in that TV series. Oh, too. okay. Yeah. Okay. So. Cool. All right. So sorry, didn't mean, need to make it longer, but yeah, that's one throw those two out there. Otherwise, I'd be like, oh, why didn't I say that? <laughs> no, no problem at all. All right, everybody, be excellent to each other. Go watch some good movies, and we'll see you back here next time. <laughs> <laughs>